Unlock exclusive content and access to our podcast while supporting our show. How is that possible? Become a Narratives of Purpose patron at patreon.com forward slash NOP podcast. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Narratives of Purpose, a place for conversations with inspiring leaders that is all about amplifying social impact. I bring you unique stories of changemakers, stories of people who are contributing to make a difference in society. By showcasing these individual journeys, I would like to inspire you to take action. If you are tuning in for the first time, my name is Claire Morigande. I am your host on this podcast. In today's episode, I am welcoming a new guest. Her name is Ira Guha. Ira is based in London. She is the founder of Asan, a social venture with a mission to eradicate period poverty, which prevents women and girls across the world from participating in essential daily activities such as going to school and work. In our discussion, Ira talks about how she and her team designed a very easy-to-use menstrual cup that can be safely reused for 10 years and therefore eliminating over 2,500 sanitary pads or tampons. Please take a moment to rate and to review our show wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help other listeners find narratives of purpose and further amplify the stories of change we bring on our show. For now, let's get into the fascinating conversation with Ira. Ira, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I am very well. It's lovely to be here. Thank you, Claire. It's absolutely a great pleasure to have you. And just a bit of background for our listeners. Um, a few episodes back, I was asking some of my guests, you know, who they would like to hear on this podcast, whose story they think is also very impactful. And you were actually mentioned by my previous guests. So to our audience, if they want to listen again to those episodes, it was with the founders of Miara Health, about women's health. So they recommended me to reach out to you. And here we are today. So thank you for joining me. You are the founder of Asan Cup, and if I could narrow it down to a few words, you're basically fighting period poverty, okay? Now, before we jump into that, I'd like you to please introduce yourself to our listeners. What would you like them to know about you? So, my name is Ira Goha, and I am originally from Bangalore in South India. I moved to the UK when I was 18 for university, but I've been going home to India a lot over the past couple of years. And my um, startup, Asan, Asan means easy in many languages, in Hindi, Urdu, Persian, maybe in your language. Asan's mission is to really make periods easy for everyone across the world, no matter where they're from, no matter what their income is. So we designed and patented an innovative reusable menstrual cup called the Asan Cup. And for every Asan cup we sell, we donate one for free to someone in rural India who can't afford period care. So our mission is to eradicate period poverty and also tampon waste because one Asan cup averts the waste of 2,500 pads or tampons. And for those of us who can afford period products, you know, billions of pads and tampons are being flushed or going into the oceans every year. And in addition to period poverty, this is a big issue that, that Asan is trying to address. 
So before you tell me more about the cup, tell me about how it all started. You know, how did you begin your entrepreneurial venture with your startup? What led you to create uh, Asan? Yes, I think like many entrepreneurs, I did not seek out to build a business or be an entrepreneur at all. I was just interested in a problem and trying to solve that problem. So it started when in 2017, I was back home in Bangalore. And uh, actually, a cook who was working in my mom's house had stopped coming to work. And my mom asked me to follow up with her and find out what was wrong or if she was sick. And when I contacted her, I was shocked to find out that, you know, she wasn't ill. She just had her period. She was using really low quality pads that had given her terrible rashes and a UTI. So I said to her, you know, can you show me these pads? And when she showed them to me, I was shocked because they were so thick and, un and uncomfortable. You know, I wouldn't want to use them. And she shared with me that actually, you know, with these low cost sanitary pads becoming available, many women in her community, they, they were so uncomfortable that many women were actually throwing them and going back to cloth rags. So at the time, I showed her my menstrual cup, which I was using, and I explained how it works. And I asked her if she would be open to trying it, and she was. So I gifted her a menstrual cup from the UK, and she took to it like this. You know, immediately she was able to do all her tasks at work, and she was comfortable. And she asked me, you know, can you bring back some more for my nieces and for my sister? And It just spiraled from there. And every time I was going home, I was literally spending 300 pounds on 10 menstrual cups. It didn't make any sense. And fast forward a couple of years, I was working in the private sector in London and that wasn't a good fit for me. And I had quit my job and I was doing a master's in public policy at Harvard. And I spoke to a professor there about, you know, this work I was doing with menstrual cups in India and could we, you know, do something meaningful out of this? And the two problems we wanted to work on was one, designing a better menstrual cup because I think there hasn't been innovation in the space for some time and we wanted to make a menstrual cup that was actually really accessible and easy to insert and remove. And then the second problem was actually how to make menstrual cups affordable and accessible for people in you know rural areas or from low-income backgrounds who might not even know that the option of menstrual cups exists. And that's how Asan was born. We designed the Asan cup at the Harvard Innovation Lab to be the easiest menstrual cup to insert and remove. And then I moved back home to India to work with a local charity on, you know, distribution in rural areas. And we learned quite quickly that while it was an incredibly life-changing product, the women couldn't afford it, even if we was to sell it at cost. And We also realized there was so much demand for our product among those who could afford it. And that's how the one-for-one -one donations was born. So selling it to, you know, people like you or others who might need a really high-quality menstrual cup anywhere in the world. And that allows us to finance the donations for people who can't afford it. That's a good explanation because I was wondering when you're explaining, you know, you want to make it more affordable. But still, because you've improved the product, I would assume as well that the prices would be more than what you find currently on the market. So you solve that by doing this one-one donations, correct? Exactly. So the Asan Cup is still really affordable because it replaces the waste of pads and tampons. So, you know, even if you look at a woman in, say, Switzerland or the UK, you know, you are spending upwards of a thousand pounds on pads and tampons just a couple of years and the Asan cup costs 25 pounds and it's going to last you a decade. So it is still a, a cost saving, you know, even for a higher income person who buys it. But the really amazing thing about our model is 
when we sell it, the Asan Cup for £25, we're actually baking in the cost of donating one for free as well. So you mentioned something about improving the product and making it different from what's on the market. And I was also checking your website and it does say that it's the highest quality. And I don't know if it's the best. Maybe you can tell me more about that. What is particularly special with your cup that makes it stand out from the rest of the cups on the market? So I think just coming from a product design perspective, the first thing that we did was, you know, we bought the highest quality period cups available in, you know, Scandinavia, the US, and we tested them. We had a user group both in India and in the US who were testing the products and giving us really detailed feedback and just trying to understand, you know, what are the difficulties in using menstrual cups? And A couple of things we found. Number one, really big problem was removal. You know, I myself have a high cervix, so I related to this. When you insert a cup, it can actually go quite high up and it can be quite difficult to remove after a couple of hours. So at Asan, we actually put a removal ring on the cup, which makes it really easy to locate, almost like a tampon. The ring means you can pull it down much, much more easily. So that was the first innovation. The second thing that we found was around sizing. So menstrual cup sizing is incredibly complicated and confusing. If you go on, you know, any sort of manufacturer's website, they'll say, measure the height of your cervix. Uh, have you given birth or not? And it's a lot of language that's not actually very accessible to people because, you know, even here in the UK, a lot of people don't know what a cervix is or how to measure it, let alone in a village in India. Certainly, they don't know how to measure their cervix. Um We worked with gynecologists on this and what we learned was the single most important factor in menstrual cup sizing is actually your flow. Just like with pads or tampons, do you have light flow? Do you have moderate flow? Do you have heavy flow? So we actually changed the sizing completely and we designed a menstrual cup for light flow and a menstrual cup for heavy flow. So you could be a teenager, you could be a mom of three kids, it doesn't matter. Just go based on your flow and that again is simple, easy, accessible language that anyone can understand. If you change your cloth or your pad, um, you know, more often, say every five hours because you have a very heavy flow, then you should go for the heavy flow cup. It's, it's really simple language. And then there were a couple of other design tweaks we made. For example, we learned that people were very unhappy with their menstrual cup becoming discolored over time. So we made our cup red because that's the color of period. So it never discolors. So, you know, small things like that, making the design leak proof, um, but a lot of sort of thought and engineering actually did go into this. And also a lot of trial, you know, the Asan cup we have today is the fourth version because we would make a cup, have people try it out, give us really detailed feedback and then tweak it. And we only really stopped the design once we were completely confident that it was the best menstrual cup out there. And also very happy to say uh, in July, so a couple of months ago, uh, the Evening Standard, which is, you know, a really popular um, newspaper in the UK, Their reviewer personally tried and tested 10 global menstrual cup brands and ranked them and found Asan to be the best. So that was awesome. Oh, really? Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. That's amazing. And out of curiosity, how long did that product development process last? I mean, from the first product it put out up until now, the version you have, you say you're happy with. It took about a year and a half because at the very beginning, We were working, you know, in the Harvard Innovation Lab. It's kind of like a design studio and they have 3D printers. So I was working with an engineer to just 3D print different products and see what we thought of the design, different shapes of the ring. But our product is made from class six medical grade silicon. It's the same material that goes into heart stents, 
you can't 3D print that material, obviously. <laughs> that takes actual, you know, injection molding. So we 3D printed for about six months. And then, you know, we actually started working on the real material and making some, you know, temporary molds. And that took another year or so to, to go through all the different designs. And then once we had our design, you know, we started um, applying for IP and patents and things like that. And, you know, there's one thing I like to talk about as well on the podcast is the impact of startups or foundations that entrepreneurs come on the show to talk about. And my question to you in terms of impact, I'd like to understand like how many lives or at least how many people you've been able to reach in rural India, because my understanding is you first start in India, but your objective is to go worldwide at some point. So what is your impact there in terms of the lives you've changed? And on another subject as well, because not only in India, but even here, I can relate Switzerland, probably also you in the UK or when you were in Harvard, periods still are a taboo subject, just like menopause, anything almost related to women's health. I guess it's another topic. But, you know, what is your role there with Asan in advancing the awareness and the discussions on this topic? Yeah, really good questions. Um, in terms of the number of lives, so we have more than 30,000 active Asan users at the moment, the majority of whom are actually in rural India. And, you know, we were completely sort of bootstrapped to date. Um, but we are now sort of in a growth and scaling um, phase of our company. And in the next five years, our vision is to have completely transformed the lives of at least one million low-income women and girls um, across the world. And when I say, you know, transform the lives, the reason I say that is because period poverty and not accessing products. It's really not just about a solution for your period. It's about empowering people to take part in essential daily activities like going to school and going to work and even doing housework that they are currently unable to do during their period. And, you know, estimates say something like $87 billion is lost in GDP just in India because of period poverty, because of women and girls not participating fully during their periods. And this is something I really relate to because in the villages that Asan works in, we can see that an average of two to three days is lost every single period because you don't leave the house. You skip school. If you have an exam, you might even miss it, right? So it's really about economic empowerment when we think about impact. And then on your second question about taboos, I really appreciate the fact that you said that taboos exist in every society in you know in rural India in urban India in Switzerland in the US there are just different kinds of taboos around periods and something that was really important to me as a founder in being open about the work we were doing and breaking the taboo was to be very bold with our brand and our packaging so if anyone has a look at the Asan packaging it is brightly colored you know it's bright pinks bright reds bright yellow if you go on our instagram we're literally shouting from the rooftop about periods in the boldest and brightest way possible and the reason for that is because if you think of period care as a category it's always pale blue and pale pink because it's about being discreet and hiding in a corner and you know being ashamed of your period and I completely disagree with all of that. I actually just think periods are a practical fact of life. Exactly. And actually, without periods, there's no life, if I could say it, you know. <laughs> so why shame it or why hide it? <laughs> exactly. You're so right. It's just normal. It's just life. And that's why we want to be bold and we want to be proud. The only other thing I would say when it comes to taboos is that 
it's really important to also, you know, respect where other people are coming from. And it's not on me as the founder of Asan to tell other women or people from different backgrounds what they should and shouldn't do during their period. And I know that there are a million different sort of cultural differences of things we do in our period. In some cultures, people don't cook. In some cultures, people don't, you know, maybe go to a place of worship. And, you know, I don't practice that. And maybe I don't agree with it. That said, I come from a city. My first language is English. I just don't believe that it's my responsibility to change the way other people behave in every case. So again, something that we feel very strongly about at Asan is saying to people, look, this is a product that really works for us, for our team personally. It's been so life-changing for us. We'd love to give you the opportunity to try it if you're open to it. But there's no sort of conversation of you have to use this or you have to behave in a certain way. It's just empowering people with information and access to a great product. And in terms of the impact, what we really find when we work in a rural context is the amazing thing about the Asan Cup is how discreet it is. So if you're using cloth rags, you have to scrub them and hang them up to dry and other people might see that and there's a lot of shame associated with that. And similarly with pads, you might have to ask a family member for money or you might have to travel somewhere to buy the pads. You, When you're disposing of them, that's very public. You might have to burn them. So the amazing thing about the Asan Cup is so tiny and it's just so personal. It's just for you. And we actually have a few villages in Karnataka where the women call it magical cup. And it's magical because it almost erases your period. No one knows you're on your period. And that's what they love about it. So I think in terms of taboos, it's also quite empowering that it sort of removes that taboo of the period because no one knows when you're menstruating. And it's up to you to share that if you want to share it. Wow, that's impressive. And you talked about also expanding and having broader reach. So right now you're in India. Can you tell me about like which regions you're covering and looking forward, you know, what is your outlook? And especially do you have specific partners? How do you want to make this when you grow Asan? So Asan has obviously two sides to our organization. We have the more commercial side, which is where we sort of sell the Asan Cup. And then we have the social impact side, which is donations, partnerships with foundations. So at the moment, our sort of more commercial side, our sales is UK, Europe and India. And our social impact has been completely in India. You know, again, because, for example, I'm from Karnataka. It's a state that I understand well. We have amazing partners doing really, really thorough sort of work there. And, you know, when we distribute the Asan Cup, it's really not about just giving people a product because there's so much training and education that goes into how to safely use the Asan Cup. And there's so much effort that goes into follow-ups because our target, which, you know, we always hit is that 90% of a community should be able to safely use the Asan Cup. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of effort and training and education. We have a six-month behavioral change model And because of this education component, we are very careful about who we work with because every day we have organizations reaching out to us who are, you know, even happy to sponsor Asan Cups. They don't need the donations. But if they don't have the capacity or the capability to do that education and monitoring and following up, we don't end up partnering together because my worst nightmare as a founder is an Asan Cup lying on a shelf unused because the person didn't receive the right education or doesn't feel confident enough to try it. In terms of expansion, I think that is, you know, the number one challenge is 
we want to scale, of course. We, you know, we want to eradicate period poverty. That is a huge mission. There's a billion women and girls across the world who need access to a product like this. But we also want to scale in an extremely sustainable and authentic way where we know that everybody who we're reaching is really able to have all the information that they need to safely use the product. So we are actually establishing some partnerships outside of India as we speak. But again, they are with organizations who have very deep roots in a certain community. So we tend not to work with, say, volunteer networks where someone lives in a city, but then they just travel to a village and do some kind of social work and then travel back to the city. Because for us, it's very important that the trainers and the project managers of any project are actually embedded within a community and come from that community. So even if we look for a partner in, say, Kenya or a partner in Uganda or any other country, the first thing we will analyze is, is your team actually embedded within this community? And can you give them the correct education and follow-up for the next six months or one year or three years, however long it will take? And if we feel confident that that is being met, then we would love to partner with you. You talked about a program. So I wrote down training, education, follow-up. Can you describe that a bit? Uh, how long does it take? And do you have people within Asan team? Or as you were saying before, is it the organizations you're working with who do this work? Yeah, so we call it, I guess, the Asan um, behavioral change framework, which we've come up with after a lot of practice and trying and testing different methods. I would say it usually takes six months, but it, it could definitely be, you know, a little longer, a little shorter, depending on the community's response. But how our behavioral change program works is we start really, really small to build trust with the community. So we actually start with maybe just 10 or 20 women. And they are usually change makers or influencers within a community. So they could be the staff of the charity or NGO who we're partnering with. Or they could be maybe school teachers or nurses who live in that community who are quite influential in changing behaviors. And we have a really small group. And what we do is we conduct, uh, the ASAN team conducts a training for them where we, again, we always come from a space of our team has made this product. We are using it. Would you like to try it? And maybe out of the 20, only 15 want to try it. And that's fine. But we start with them and we actually have a sort of, you know, one to two month really close knit group that's in communication with each other, usually over WhatsApp and following up. And what you'll see is the first two or three people try it and they love it so much that they might share a video or a testimonial on that group. And then very quickly, people are inspired that, hey, my friend is using it and then everyone else tries it. That's the very first stage. Once we have those 20 women on board and loving it, they come to us and they actually say, we would love to take this to our community. We would love to distribute this for you. How can we partner together? At that stage, Asan has a train-the-trainer model. So we essentially equip them with all of the kind of medical information, all of the training tools they'll need. That could be local language videos. We always give user guides, illustrated user guides in the local language as well. We develop all of that content and then we do the trainer sort of curriculum for them. And then when they feel confident, that's when we get to the stage where they take it to the community. And again, that takes a couple of months because first you have an awareness session where you might not even distribute the product. You're just talking about it. And again, they will go to their community saying, I use this. It's coming from me. It's not any sort of outside influence. No one is forcing this product on you. 
I use this. Would you like it? And then that's how it spreads. And honestly, to go from 20 women to a thousand can literally happen in the space of a few weeks if those 20 women are motivated enough and talking about it. It's amazing. I really love this concept of saying I've used it. And like, it's my own experience, right? And that's what everybody is looking for when you put a product out there. You look at customer feedback and all these things. And this is like direct. It's so powerful to say, I've used it. Maybe you can try it, right? So I think it's a very powerful approach. Absolutely. And I think the really sad thing is that this approach is lacking in the way we do a lot of what they call sort of development work, you know, with other menstrual health initiatives, for example, where people say, oh, I personally use tampons, but I'll give you this low quality pad. Or there's always this idea that, oh, if I'm donating something, let me go for the cheapest option, for example. And then that's where trust gets lost. Because why would you donate something that you would use yourself? The trust is really key here, as you say. And now I'm curious to know for you personally as a founder, right, as an entrepreneur, can you tell us a bit about your own personal journey? What was the most challenging for you and what keeps you going as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I think having the university environment to support you is incredible because to develop a product is really expensive. You know, hiring an engineer, having access to a 3D printer, all of these things cost a lot of money. And I think what was so fantastic was having the ecosystem at Harvard where they had basically, you know, patent lawyers and all of these other things completely for free. So that was an amazing support in creating the product. But in terms of what's been challenging, I think at every stage of my business, whether product development, acquiring customers, acquiring investors, it's always been the constant challenge of behavior change because I'm tackling an industry where people have been so used to the same products for honestly 100 years, you know, pads and tampons and just the idea that period products should be disposable, use it once and throw it away. That That's hygienic. You know, this trying to break into an industry where there's consumer habits are so set is a challenge. But that said, I think what's amazing is that times really are changing. After the COVID pandemic, we really see, you know, supply chains were disrupted for pads and tampons. So people were some, in some cases forced to try something new and awareness about the environment and also about our own health and what we're putting in our bodies has really gone up. So I'm really happy to see sort of the changes even in the market environment in the UK. We see that tampon sales, I think, have fallen by 12% in the last five years. So I think the winds are sort of in our favor now. I was wondering now if you look ahead, it's been only two years since you have the product on the market, but you've been working on it for four years now. And You also have competitors. You see how things are moving forward and how mindsets are changing. What is your vision in this area? How do you see things being different in, let's say, five years from now? I think we're going to see a huge amount of change because of the kind of market conditions now post-COVID. I think there is a huge opportunity for reusable period products because reusable period products are maybe, you know, 5%, maybe 10% in some markets. Uh, I honestly see in the next five years this shifting to maybe 50% because of the rapid change in consumer behavior. And I think the really interesting thing about, you know, the market in which we operate is every single year a teen joins the market or a young adolescent joins the market and a menopausal person leaves it. And what's really interesting about that dynamic is 
you know, if you look at a, a woman going through menopause, she's used pads or tampons for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. It's really hard to get her to break out of that habit. But if you look at a teen who's getting their period for the first time, you know, there's a whole world of options available and social media is incredible. All teens are on social media and, you know, so pads aren't being posted on them because they're saying, hey, no, I just saw, you know, my friend is using a period cup or my friend is using period underwear. So I think this really interesting dynamic where you're getting really open minded and really eco conscious teens entering the market every year is what's going to drive it towards reusable. And, you know, when we talk about competitors, I really think that the big competitor here is the sort of established pad and tampon brands who occupy a large part of the market. And I actually think reusable and sustainable challenger brands are actually working together in tandem to create a whole new space. And that is very exciting. Absolutely. And quite interesting because I would have thought otherwise, right? Because if you say all these new uh, companies or brands coming on the market, they're all, it's true, competing against the established ones. But I thought that together with their reusable products, there must be some competition between these brands. Well, I think also competition is really, really healthy in this space. I also think another big difference in, you know, market trends and, and startups is period products were always designed by men or companies that sold period products were always owned by men. Now, again, that's changing. Women are getting more funding. You know, they're getting access to innovation. You have women engineers. So women are also making products for themselves. And that's why you see better period products being created. You know, a man wouldn't have put a ring on the Asanka because they wouldn't have even known it was difficult to remove. And so I think a level of healthy competition also leads to innovation in the space. And let's not forget how big this market is. I mean, we have billions of <laughs> menstruating people across the world who need access to really good period care. And the opportunity is honestly limitless. And in terms of adoption, you mentioned like women who are probably going through menopause or perimenopause, they've been used for decades to have these other disposable products. Have you seen, if you're in touch with your customers, like there being a difficulty in adopting cups for this age category compared to teens, for instance? I would agree with that. Absolutely. Our uh, most sort of popular base and the people who are most ready to use the Asan Cup is actually teens. We have a chat function on our website where people can speak to our team. And the number one question we get is, I really want to use the Asan Cup. How do I convince my mom to buy it for me? Because the teen girl is ready to go for it, but her mom hasn't heard of it and it's a little bit nervous. And we have actually invested so much in creating amazing resources on our website about that conversation between, you know, teens and their parents and picking a period product for your teen for this reason. I think, you know, in any age group, you have people who are a bit nervous about new products and who are early adopters. So even in the sort of perimenopause age group, we absolutely have some early adopters because what happens at perimenopause is your flow can become very irregular and unexpected. You can suddenly have very, very heavy periods for a shorter period of time. So we do have women going through perimenopause who say this pad is not enough and the Asan cup actually holds three times more than a pad and you can wear it for longer. So they, they actually find the benefits amazing, but they just might need that extra push or they might need to hear about it from a really trusted source like another friend going through perimenopause before they you know decide to try it. I think all these uh, reusable products have so many arguments going for them that it's almost a no-brainer today, <laughs> irrespective of your age group. So I think you're really in the right area at this moment. 
Do you have anything that you would like our listeners to know about Asan? How can we support you? Well, if you're listening today, I would say one thing I would love you to do is just to head to Instagram and type Asan Cup, A-S-A-N-C-U-P, and give us a follow because that's really where we have all our content about our social impact. You know, we're a very transparent brand. So in terms of all of the donations we do, we have so many testimonials about the people that's reaching and their experiences. So please stay in touch with us on Instagram. And we also have some amazing sort of FAQ content on there about actually how to use a menstrual cup. Because I think one thing we didn't address today and which is always on people's mind is, oh, how does that work? It's so big. How will it fit inside me? You know, will it get stuck there? All these sort of really simple questions. And if you're just new to this entire concept and you're wondering how it works, have a look at Asan's Instagram and you'll actually see that it's like Asan's name, which means easy. Menstrual cups are actually really easy. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time and thank you for sharing about Asan and your journey on the podcast. I hope to stay in touch with you and see how Asan evolves through time. Yeah, thank you, Claire, for supporting social impact entrepreneurs and for having me here today. Take care. What a great conversation with yet another female founder making waves in women's health with her social enterprise. Ira's startup, Asan, ensures access to safe period care across the world and provides menstrual health education to women and girls in India. You will find a wealth of useful resources and articles about menstrual cups, period poverty, periods and health, as well as sustainability on the Asan website at asancup.org. If you are more of a social media person, then simply follow Asan on Instagram at asancup. All these links are available in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I appreciate you taking the time. That was episode 64, a conversation with Ira Guha on eradicating period poverty. Join me again in two weeks for our final episode of the season. And believe it or not, this season finale will coincide with our three-year anniversary. So don't miss this last episode. Make sure you leave us a review everywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you're listening to, remember to share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or even a family member. You can also connect with us through our website at narratives-of-purpose.podcastpage.io. The link is available in the show notes or through our social handles at Narratives of Purpose Podcast. Until the next episode, take care of yourselves, stay well and stay inspired. Music